Thank you, worship team. Good evening, everybody. You're going to make me be running back the aisles because everybody's in one section and you're way far away. So you know what that means. The people in the front are going to have to turn their heads because I'll be going back there because i got to get with you. That's what you did. Now, this morning, Nancy put her hand on my hair and said, oh, did you get your hair cut? Not really. My hair is just a measure of the humidity outside. I have naturally curly hair, and I burnt my two fingers on a lawnmower the other day. Hint, don't touch the motor of a lawnmower after you have mowed your lawn. I I, I burnt these two fingers, and I was thinking, somebody might think I stuck my finger in a light socket because of my hair. This is my naturally curly hair, so I'm just kind of letting it go today. I didn't even try to do a thing with it. How many of you like it curly? Sue's like thinking about that one. <laughs> All right. Uh, one announcement I want to give before we pray and go to the Lord is don't forget that this Friday night at Norwin Alliance Church is a Hope and Passion Ministries event. It's a multi-church event, and it's called Grace Greater Than Karma. How many have ever heard of the word karma? Okay. It is not true that you work out your bad karma or what goes around comes around automatically to you. This is called grace greater than karma, understanding how God works with defective people. Now, how many of you in this place need to know how God works with you? Yes, because we're all defective. So I hope that you'll come to this event. It starts at 6.30. We're going to have a few worship songs, go right into the message, and then we'll have refreshments afterwards. Tonight's message, however, is called The Answer for Discouragement. And before I start, I definitely want to pray because we know that the enemy would like for us to be discouraged, but we know that God's Holy Spirit is here with us to teach us how not to be. So let's pray and seek God's face and his anointing. Father, we come before you this evening and I thank you for every particular person that has gathered in this sanctuary. There is a reason for it. I've prayed over the past few weeks for this message, Lord, and asked that you would bring exactly the people that you want to be here to be here. And here we are, Lord, and we are thanking you for your presence, and we are thanking you for your word, which cannot fail. And we are praying in the name of Jesus that we would truly be able to sing a new song to you this evening. Your word tells us in multiple places that we are to sing a new song to you which means we are not to depend on yesterday's blessing. We are not to depend on the thoughts of yesterday, but to know each and every day that you are good and that you have a plan for us and that your will is perfect. So we want to be able to sing to you a new song this evening as our hearts are encouraged by your word. And so be with us, Lord. Uh, Help us to remove all distractions to focus our minds on you, cleanse us from our sins that we might hear you. And we just give this evening to you and pray that miracles would be done. As the church of Jesus Christ, every time we gather together to put you at the center, we ought to believe that miracles are going to be done. Some of them cannot be seen with the physical eyes, and they may not necessarily be physical miracles. But always, 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 when the word of God goes forth, it never, ever, ever returns void. And so we know that you want to do miracles in hearts tonight. And I know, Lord Jesus, that you have brought people here who may be very severely discouraged, who may be very seriously 
weary. But there are miracles for us tonight by the power of your word. And so we thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so let's take an opinion poll. How many people in the sanctuary tonight have ever been or currently are discouraged? Okay, everybody with their hands down, they're liars, so they have a different problem, okay? All right, how many people in the sanctuary have been or are right now tired, sick and tired, okay? How many people have ever felt that you were, this is a serious thing, losing heart, amen? And we, we're there. We're not just there in the past. get there. And as Christians, that happens to us. It's kind of like Pastor referred to this in his sermon this morning. The reason that happens to us is because we are fallen creatures, amen? We are just people. We are made of dust. And so we face times of discouragement. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 103. And somewhere down around in Psalm 103, it says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth us. He remembers that we are nothing but dust. God knows that. So he knows that those of us, whether we need to come to the Lord or we know the Lord this evening, he knows that we come to times of discouragement and times when we grow weary and times where we go tired. However, I'm here to tell you this evening that it is not God's will for a child of God to live in discouragement. And everybody said, Amen. The biggest thing I got on that was a, that kind of nod. I'll nod to you so you know, Shelly, but I don't want anybody else to see me. Okay, listen. I'm going to make that statement again because it's really important to understand. It is not God's will for the child of God to grow faint and stay faint. It's not God's will for us to be discouraged and underneath of our circumstances all the time. Amen? Now, I'm not saying that we don't face problems. I'm not saying you're out of God's will because you face great difficulty. That's a different story. We're going to face difficulty and hardship. Life is going to be very, very rough most of the time, but we're still not to live in a state of discouragement despite the things that we persevere through. Amen? Now, that is biblical stuff. That is the truth of God's Word. We're going to go a couple places to show you that that is true. The child of God can face many hardships and difficulties, but underneath it all, God's desire is for us to be a people of encouragement, a people of passion for him, a people who make it through despite the hardship with our head held high and a certain joy deep down in our soul. How many of you want to live like that? Now, there's a specific way that that comes to be. The Bible is kind of clear. It's not just like pull yourself up by the bootstraps, slap you across the face, be happy, Vicky. That's not what God says. This is not something you muster up on your own. This is something that God gives us his formula for. Now, here's the deal. While we as human beings get discouraged at times because we're finite creatures, And even though God understands that because he knows our frame, and particularly because Jesus Christ came and put on flesh and invaded the universe, do you think Jesus understands what discouragement is? We know that he did. You you hear him in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
All right, you see him laboring through many things. So God, who didn't have to, came to be our great high priest. Jesus experienced what it's like to know discouragement so that he could empathize with us. That's true. But here's the deal. While we get discouraged, I want to tell you something very hopeful. God never lacks courage. Amen? While we grow weary and tired, God never grows weary or tired or says, I'm so disgusted, I think I'm just going to give up. God never does that. I remember when I first taught in Christian school, first school I was ever at, our principal had a saying. When things got rough or enrollment was down or there were difficult situations, he would stand up in front of the teachers and he would say, God is still on the throne and he's not wringing his hands. Amen? So listen, even while you are discouraged, you need to remember something. God never lacks courage. He's never looking at your situation or the situation of the entire universe and saying, Oh no, I wonder what's going to happen. This really has me down. I don't think I can make it through this. I don't know if I can handle it. That never, ever, ever happens to God. Amen? Now why does it never happen to God? Because God is the all-powerful creator of the universe. As I took my Sunday school class to today in your Bible, Psalm 33, verses 6 through 11, really neat passage of Scripture says this. It says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him because he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. If God, you know, we have to go back to basics and get excited about the basics. If God created everything out of absolutely nothing and currently sustains it, do you think he feels tired? Do you think he's discouraged like he doesn't know where this thing is headed? No, he knows, because the very next verses, 10 and 11, say this. Right on the heel, naming him as the creator, it says, The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. Now, we said in Sunday school today, and this is a good one, how many of you ever frustrated with the United Nations? <laughs> okay. How many of you look around and you see their armies and their nuclear forces and their terrorist uh, plans and plots and you think, wow, they're nations. We're just, you know, look at us and these whole nations are antithetical to God's plan and God's purposes and what's going to happen and we're biting our fingernails. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. There's no nation that's going to do anything that's going to thwart God's plan, right? Amen? It says he frustrates the plans of people. And I said this in Sunday school, and it, it, it needs to be said now. One of the reasons that sometimes we get discouraged is our plans go awry. I plan something for my life, and it goes differently, and I get discouraged. I'm thankful God frustrates my plans. I look back at my life, and I think if God did my plans, I'd be in a really sad state. Amen? God frustrates the plans of peoples. He nullifies the counsel of nation. But it goes on to say in verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands, how long? Can anybody guess the word there? The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. God's never discouraged. 
There's nothing that's going to happen to you or happen to me or happen in the universe at large that God is not in complete and utter control of it. He knows where the whole thing is headed. Amen? So God is never discouraged. God never grows weary. He never gets tired. Now, Isaiah 40, verses 26 to 28 say, Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Then he goes on to say, why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Now listen, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Does anybody know the next phrase? He does not, anybody grow Tired or weary, God does not ever grow tired or weary. This is difficult for us to understand because we grow physically tired in a day and we also grow emotionally weary and we get spiritually weary. God never grows tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. Now, what I want you to look at, I actually want you to turn in your Bibles now to Isaiah chapter 40, and I want to give you a tie-in here. Isaiah chapter 40, we went through verses 26 to 28 just now. So get your finger there, Isaiah chapter 40. God does not grow tired or weary. What we've just been discussing in Psalm 33 and Isaiah chapter 40 so far is God has all power. He made absolutely everything out of absolutely nothing. He's got total control of the universe. His sovereign plan will prevail. He doesn't grow tired or weary. He's got all the power in the world. But here is the beauty of God's grace and his goodness to us. Watch this. He has all the power in the world. But God is not sitting up there as some impersonal force saying, yeah, I've got all the power. This is how good God is. I want you to look in your own Bible. I have the ESV version, verse 29. You might want to highlight this. What does God do with his power? Does he just throw it around and wield it so he can show us he has all power? No, it says he gives what? He gives power to the faint or to the weary. He gives power to the faint. Listen, in this sanctuary tonight is a God who wants to give to you. He has all power, but the amazing goodness of biblical Christianity is our God reaches down to where we are. And he is in this place to give power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Now the paradox is that you get strength just about the minute you have none. Amen? This is an amazing paradox. I was just reading about this. I think I was reading it, not hearing it in a message. I was reading just recently a great paradox. No, it wasn't. It was pastor's sermon a week or two ago. The Pharisee prays and he says, look at all the religious and wonderful things I do. And I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. I am so pious and I am so close to you and I am so wonderful. And the Bible says he walked away and God doesn't hear his prayers. But then you have the pitiful tax collector who beats on his chest 
And, and, to, and I love, I love how the Bible is so real. How many of you have ever literally beat on your chest? I'm not ashamed to say I have. Have you ever been so frustrated? He just, he just beat on his chest and he said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I have nothing to bring you. And he's the one that God brought something to. That God helped. Amen? It's a paradox. Here's the paradox. Just about the time you're ready to confess that you have no might, guess what? God is going to deliver the might and the strength that you need. It's time for us to realize that our might and strength doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from God. Now look at the next verse. Even youth shall, shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. How many of you have ever been around or have young people in the house? All right, now I work with teenagers here at Norman Alliance. I've been a teacher all my life. I especially like the energy of toddlers in the McDonald's play place. All right, how many of you have ever taken a, you know, a young person to a party or a picnic or something, and you're about ready to go to bed? You are done in, and the kids are still running around like crazy people, crazy people. And you're like, I don't even give them caffeine. And, and they're, you're like, they are amazing. And we, we say this all the time. Where do they get their energy? How many of you have ever said that? All right. Okay, now listen. The Bible says that even they grow tired and weary. I've seen this, okay? I've watched little kids run and run and run and run and run like crazy people for hours, and we're like all envious. Where do they get their energy? Boy, the minute their head hits the pillow, they're off for like 11 hours. Because even young people grow tired and weary, and young men fall exhausted. Amen? But what does the Bible say next? But they that, yeah, let's say it out loud. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Now, the word for wait there does not mean twiddling your thumbs. The other day in youth group, we were playing this song, and it had been on too many times, and we were just bored to death, and we just sat there, and we were like, Okay, that's not the kind of waiting this is. This kind of waiting is an expectant hope. It's a longing for. It's a, your head's out the window. You're looking for God. He's all you want. The Bible says those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Now listen, those who wait on the Lord, we're too busy waiting on people sometimes. When, how many of you, whenever you feel discouraged, are looking for your encouragement from another human being? Oh, they that wait upon their spouse, they that wait upon their good friends, they that wait upon the people at church, they that wait upon people shall renew their strength. Eh. They that wait upon their circumstances to turn out really good, they that wait upon that job they've been waiting for, you know, they that wait upon things or circumstances shall renew their strength. Is that right? Eh. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. Your answer is God. Your answer is not the answer. The answer you're looking for is not the answer. We're praying for stuff all the time. We think if God just gives me what I'm praying for, then I'll be encouraged. No. That's precisely why you're not encouraged. You need to be praying to know who? To know and walk with God. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. Now, how many of you know that Shelley is a bird watcher? I am a geek. I am a bird watcher. And I'm going to tell you, you think Frank Kohler is this innocent elder of the church. 
he gave me the wildest idea one day. He actually witnessed in my backyard the way that I watch birds, okay? And I don't know if you've ever seen me in this. I wear these groups sometimes, but I have a yellow and black Fila shirt and black Adidas pants and white and black Adidas sandals. And I can look the exact colors of a goldfinch. How many of you like the American goldfinch? Yeah, I can look the exact colors of the goldfinch. And Frank said to me, sometime you ought to take a glove and fill it with bird seed and hold it on the end of a big stick and sit out there dressed as a goldfinch and see if you can get one to eat from the glove. And then eventually you can start shortening the stick and they'll eventually eat out of your hand. So I have, in fact, at a recent picnic at my house, tried to get closer and closer to the goldfinches. I put the outfit on. I have a picture. I'll show it maybe next week in Sunday school. And I laid down with a broomstick, with a yellow and black glove even, with the bird seed, trying to feed the goldfinches. And they did come pretty close. So, Frank, good job back there. Yeah. Okay, so... I love birds. I love the American goldfinch. I have an emotional attachment to it because of my nephew Noah. I love cardinals, blue jays, red-winged blackbirds. A lot of people in here like hummingbirds. To me, their wings move so fast I can't even see them, so I don't understand that. But I love birds. I have four bird feeders in my backyard. As much as I love the American goldfinch, and I call them Mr. and Mrs. Redbird, I actually mean cardinals, but I call them redbirds. And they're always, the thing I love about them is they're always together. You know, the Mr. and the Mrs. are always together. Okay, so even though I love all kinds of birds like that, God does not say that we will mount up with wings like goldfinches. He doesn't say we'll mount up with wings like cardinals or hummingbirds as much as we love those birds. And the question is, why? Well, have you ever seen how hard and how fast a goldfinch has to flap its wings to fly? Okay, they got these little tiny wings, they got to flap hard, they got to flap fast. And the hummingbird, I mean, he's like out of control. Okay, if I were a bird, I'd probably be a hummingbird. All right, so these birds have to flap really hard and really fast. God says we'll mount up with wings like eagles. Now, there's a reason for that. An eagle is in the category of a large bird of prey. Now, large birds of prey that are very large and outstretched, and they are designed in such an aerodynamic way, and this is why God made them this way, and this is what he intended. And by the way, this is the first devotion in the second book I wrote, Living in Awe. I wrote an article, and you can access it on the website, called Riding the Updraft. Okay? We're to mount up with wings as eagles and not goldfinches and hummingbirds because large birds of prey do something called thermal soaring. And I remember after a day at my friend Kathy's house, I came home a couple years ago, got out of my car, stood in my driveway, looked up in the sky, and there was a hawk right above my car. And the hawk had its wings outstretched, and it was going in a circular motion, and it made about three circles right above my car, never flapped its wings. And after it made the three circles above my car, I watched, and after he circled two or three times, then he did a little S-curve, and got into another circular pattern two or three times, then a little S-curve and into another circular pattern, and he continued to do this for about five to ten minutes. And after the ten minutes was over, the hawk had gone from right above my car and pretty low to very far away from me and much higher. He had traveled a great distance and had risen a great height. And not one time in the entire ten minutes Did the hawk ever beat its wings? 
That's called thermal soaring. That's a scientific fact. And here's what they do. In the morning, the sun heats up certain parts of the earth, you know, like asphalt or different places will get hotter than others, and it, it produces a large pocket of hot air. And as that bubble begins to rise, it collects more hot air and it rises higher. And what large birds of prey are designed to do is to find the thermal updrafts. They find it and they soar around it and then they just wait for the next one. They go, And this is how they get so far without ever flapping their wings. And God said that we are to mount up with wings like eagles. We are not to flap our own wings and try to do it on our own. We are to get our strength from God. Amen? In the Bible, many times, the Holy Spirit is likened to wind or breath. Now, remember, the Holy Spirit is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. But I want to tell you something. I believe what God is saying there is, ride on the power of my Holy Spirit. Amen? Quit flapping your wings trying to make it happen. This is why you end up tired. This is why you end up discouraged. This is why you end up frustrated. You're trying to work out your problems on your own. You're not waiting on God. Build your relationship with God and your problems will fall into place. Amen? Now, sometimes when we're doing a thermal updraft thing, we've got to go around the circle a few times. Let's think about that today. And when you're going around the second or third time, you're thinking, okay, am I going to get anywhere else? Yes. Wait upon the Lord. He will renew your strength. You'll mount up with wings like an eagle. Now, I'd like you to turn with me to the New Testament. Go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We're going to go to a parable there. It's the parable of the persistent widow. Well, you know what? Yeah, we'll go there first. We'll go there first. Luke chapter 18. Now, Dr. Luke here does a really neat thing. He starts the introduction to Jesus' parable by saying this. Luke says, And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. This is an amazing statement. You could teach hours and hours of seminars on this one statement and it still wouldn't do a bit of good because it's a statement that needs to be done. You with me? How many of us in this room would say, that's me, I fall into the category, I pray always. Okay. We ought Always to pray and never lose heart. Now, we see right here in the Bible that it is God's will, and these two are connected. They are interlocked. Wherever you see a person who is always praying, you will definitely see a person who is not down in the dumps all the time. Amen? Wherever you see a person who is encouraging, a person who is passionate for the Lord, a person who faces difficulty but never gives up their hope, never yields their ultimate hope, then you know that there's a person who is what? They're praying. Praying always. This is not a magical formula. Luke said the effect of this parable, the purpose that Jesus taught the parable for, was that people, disciples, ought always to pray and not lose heart 
The two go hand in hand. Now, just in collaborating evidence, I want you to turn real quickly to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Keep your finger in Luke 18. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. Now, before we go there, just a funny little story. I remember once when I was little, and Johnny and my mom and dad no doubt remember this, okay? One time when I was little, we were all sitting around the living room talking about the Bible. And my dad said to my younger brother, Jan, he's not here tonight, said to him, can you believe the shortest verse in the Bible is only two words? And my brother Jan was like, a two-word verse? He was all excited. He was young enough to be all worked up. I don't believe it. You know what I mean? My dad's like, yeah, the shortest verse in the Bible. Now, of course, my dad was alluding to John 11:35. Jesus wept. All right? So my younger brother, Jan, was so excited. All right? He was like, oh, I can't wait to find it. And he grabbed whatever Bible he had. And I can't even remember what version it was. And I can't find it online. No, I don't think it is. But regardless, he had a Bible. He's flipping open the pages. He's all excited. And we're all waiting for him to read it and see how exciting that is. There's a two-word verse in the Bible. He, he, he looked down at the Bible. He looked up at us, and his eyes were like almost welling with tears. And he goes, mine says, and tears came to Jesus' eyes. <laughs> I'll never forget that as long as I live. Why they made that verse into that, I, I can't figure it out. But... I think of that when I come to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, and 17. If you want to say you've memorized two verses of Scripture in one day, here's the two to do. All right? In most versions, these two verses consist of five words. But notice, uncannily, what is juxtaposed against each other here, just like the parable. Jesus taught them that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And what does Paul say? Rejoice always. And pray without ceasing. You see the two together? That's a direct tie-in. Luke 18, 1, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17. Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. The two go together. Now, here's what I want to say about that. When we say rejoice always, it does not mean that I'm going to walk around everywhere I go, come into Walmart, come into church on a Wednesday night, wake up in the morning, make my husband eggs and toast and be like, yeah, I'm so happy, and have this fake smile on my face. Well, some of you might imagine that I do that, but I don't. I can be a real bear. So anyway... That is not what it means to rejoice always. That's kind of superficial, and sometimes that happens. God brings us seasons of extra rejoicing, and it can manifest itself that way. But rejoice always means this. Deep down in Shelley Prindle's soul, no matter what comes my way, I have the blessed assurance that God is in it, that he is with me. I have joy despite what I face. Now, I've faced, you know, facing my disease, like persevering through my disease is a lot for me. But I find that I'm still able to rejoice because I know God is with me. I've seen family members of mine literally taken away for months and years at a time. I've seen really bad things happen. But never once did I ever lose hope. That God was in control. 
That's what rejoicing always means. It means we never really lose our courage. We face difficulties. We cry. We, we gain strength from being with, with one another. We seek God. But deep down inside, there is an assurance that God is in it. Amen? That God is in control. Rejoice always. No matter what you face, know that it's going to be okay in the end. All right? Pray without ceasing, likewise, does not mean that you fold your hands and put your head down like this and you're walking through Walmart. Okay? Prayer, ultimately, is a posture of your heart. Prayer is a posture of your heart. Prayer says, I want to be in communion with my God at all times. Amen? So I'm going to give you an example. So I'm pumping gas at Gecko the other day, and I'm like... Look at this character. This is me talking to myself, okay? This is what's going on in my head. Look at that guy. Whoa. Wonder what's up with him. And I started to think some things, you know what I mean? And then I, and then God's word and my communion with God came to me and I said, now wait a second. That man is made in the image of God. God loves him. I might hardly be able to stand to look at him, but God loves him. So I need to look at him. And I looked over at him and I prayed for him. And I tried to smile at him and show him God's love. That's a, was I praying out loud? No. But my thoughts were towards God, communion with God. You're posturing your soul to want to talk to God and to have God talk back to you. Amen? Now how does God talk back to you? If you wonder why God's not talking to you, it may be because you're not reading. You have to read. You have to have it in your heart. Now, Psalm chapter 1, you can mark this down as a reference. You don't have to turn there right now. But Psalm chapter 1, the whole psalm is amazing. It says, blessed is the man who does not uh, walk in the counsel of the wicked, doesn't take advice from wicked people, doesn't stand in the way of sinners. That doesn't mean like, you know, uh, Vicky's a sinner and so I stand in her way and I try to stop her. That means I don't stand in the way of, I don't do the things that sinners do. Blessed is a man who does walk in the council that could stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. I'm not looking like a mocker. But his delight, the Bible says, is in the law of the Lord. Now, a word to, to underline there in Psalm 1 is delight. Not, it doesn't say his obligation is in the law of the Lord. If you're reading your Bible just because you feel obligated to, to please God, eh, your delight should be in the law of the Lord. And it says, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, to meditate day and night means just what I said about my experience at get-go. I'm letting God's word infiltrate everything that I think and everything that I do and the ways that I interact with people. Amen? It says if you do that, you'll be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Your leaf does not fall. You don't ultimately lose heart and lose hope. That's what praying always and rejoicing always is. So we go back to Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. All right. Jesus said, 
Now check this out. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Now this is a pretty nasty character, you know. There are some people who fear God. They think they fear God, but they don't really care about people too much. There are some people who don't, you know, you can fear God and not care about people or vice versa. You can go one way or the other. But this guy, he didn't fear God and he didn't have any deference. He didn't have any care for people and their situations. So this guy really is a ruthless man. He has no fear of the Lord, so he's not going to make right decisions because he thinks he has to answer to someone. And he doesn't really care about people, so he's not going to look at anyone's particular situation and care about what they're going through. So Jesus says there was this judge. He didn't fear God. He didn't respect man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Now, this is a parable, and parable comes from the same word as parallel. So what Jesus is doing is he's laying down a spiritual truth by an earthly truth so that you can wrap your mind around it. Now, here's what he's saying. A judge doesn't care about God or people. So he has no no morals, he's ruthless, doesn't care. There's a widow in that city. Now, in biblical days, widows had a really rough life. Not that they don't in our society, but in Jesus' day, in biblical days, you remember the story of Ruth and Naomi? All right, in biblical days, it was a patriarchal society. Women generally did not work. They had no way to make a real living, and that's why God set up the system of the kinsman redeemer. If a woman's husband died, the closest living male relative would try to marry her to give her a way to continue to exist, to have enough, to live, but also to carry on the family name. All right? Widows didn't have Social Security to fall back on and stuff. Do you get what I'm saying? They were in a bad way. So this widow comes to the the judge, the unrighteous judge, and says, I have an enemy. And I need you to administer justice because I can't do it. I'm at a disadvantage. I need somebody to intervene. Now, how many of you know that we are like the widow in this parable? Do you ever feel at a disadvantage in this world? I need God to intervene. You hear what I'm saying? I'm like the widow. I'm helpless. Somebody has to intervene here for me. The enemy is coming against me. I don't have it in my own to fight this battle. Judge, I need you to help me. So this widow comes, and she kept coming, it says. So we don't know for how long, but she continued to come saying the same thing, give me justice against my enemy. And by the way, we have an adversary, and his name is Satan. The word Satan actually means adversary, your opponent. So this widow comes and says this over and over again, and verse 4, for a while the judge refused. So she kept coming, and he kept saying, no, 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 I don't care, I don't care, I don't care, no, no, no. And then he said, afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man. So God is here again emphasizing this judge was a ruthless person. He didn't care. right, so we get that emphasized again. Though I neither fear God nor respect man, look at verse 5, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'm going to give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. An unrighteous judge decides to grant the answer for the widow because of what? Because he's selfish. That's why. Because he's a selfish pig. 
You know what I mean? He doesn't care. He just doesn't want to be bothered. She's driving me nuts. I'm going to answer her, but not because she deserves justice, not because I care about giving justice. I just care about myself. And so I'm going to answer this lady. Now, Jesus is using a form of argument here that he uses other places in Scripture, which is this. It's kind of like an if-then statement. He's going to go on to say, if. You know, remember when Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will God, who is not evil, give good gifts to you? It's one of those, okay? So then he goes on to say, and I want this to sink into your heart. I want you to listen to this. The Lord said, Jesus said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. If an unrighteous judge who cares not for God, who is wicked to the core, has no compassion for people, if he said this, will not God, now let's stop here, God is not an unrighteous judge, amen? God is altogether righteous, perfectly holy. He knows justice better than we could ever dream of knowing it. We think we know what we deserve. We think we know what people deserve. We think we could make a situation right. We don't even understand. Are you with me? But God is altogether righteous. So Jesus says, if a ruthless, wicked, evil man would finally grant based on selfishness, won't the righteous God of the universe Give justice to his elect. Now listen, not only is God altogether righteous, but this wicked judge didn't care about people. He didn't care if she was a widow and at a disadvantage. He didn't have compassion. You with me? But God is righteous, and won't he give justice to his elect? God does care. Amen? God does have special relationship with some people. Not everybody in the world is God's child. Everybody in the world is God's creation. Not everybody in the world is God's child. And if you are God's child through Jesus Christ, God does hear you especially. Will he not give justice to his elect? Now that word elect there means chosen. And we could get into some big theological arguments about predestination and election and all that stuff. I have an easy, an easy answer for all that business. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. I'm just going to start. I'm not going to quote all the verses. But listen to this. You want to know if you're elect? You want to know if you're chosen? Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Amen? You want to know if you're chosen? If you are in Jesus Christ, if God thought about you before the world was ever created, and you are in Jesus Christ, then you are chosen to be holy and blameless. Amen? And that's the bottom line. And is that a good feeling? When I look at the world and all the goodness, when I look at the birds and the stars and the galaxies and I think of the wonder of this world, the Bible says that God thought about me before he ever made that. You with me? So will not the God of the universe who has a heart, who is just, who is compassionate, give justice to his elect 
Now, if you're a person who underlines in your Bible, this would be a good thing to underline because Jesus is now going to give a description, a definition of the elect. Will he not give justice to his elect, comma, what's the description of an elect person here? Anybody want to be bold and say it out loud? Barb? Now, let this settle in for a minute. If you are truly chosen by God, if you are truly God's child, if you are truly elect, here's what we will know for sure about you. You will cry out to God day and night. Isn't that something? You will be a desperate, desperate person for God. You may cry for all different reasons. Sometimes it may just be out of pure, I can't, I can't live, I need you, God. Or you're praying, seeking. I, I don't know what all the reasons are, but a person who is elect is defined this way. You cry out to God day and night. For weeks and weeks I've been pondering and meditating upon these verses, getting ready for this message, and God convicted me with this. I realized that I was crying out for all different kinds of things and wasting a lot of my time trying to figure out a lot of things on my own, wasting a lot of energy doing a lot of stuff, when what I should have been doing was crying out to God day and night. In every moment of every day, when I'm washing dishes, when I think about a problem, when I think about a good thing, when I'm interacting with a person, when I'm walking through Walmart, I need to be crying out to God. Day and night. Will not God give justice to those of us who cry out to him day and night? You know, King David, he had a grasp on a lot of things. Remember how he committed adultery and murder? And he poured out his heart to God and God said he was a man after his own heart. Listen, just because you failed doesn't mean you shouldn't cry out to God day and night. Amen? You keep crying out. David also said in Psalm 63:1, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Amen? If you feel like this world is dry and weary and you're desperate for God, guess what? You're probably belonging to him. Amen? Hebrews 11:6. when I was on the field at Relay for Life this morning... We get so confused about what faith is. Hebrews 11:6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone that comes to him must do two things. You know what the two things are? You have to believe that God exists. But faith is so much more than the negation of atheism. There's a lot of people who believe in God who are not saved. Amen? You have to believe that he exists. And here's what it says. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Don't fool yourself. Just because you believe in God, just because you attend church, just because you do all the right things does not mean that you have true saving faith. True saving faith puts a person in a position of desperation for God and they will earnestly, earnestly seek him and believe that he rewards them for doing so. Do I believe all my prayers will be answered in this lifetime? Nope. But I believe all my prayers will be answered according to God's will. Amen? Now, here's how Jesus ends this. Look at this. 
Jesus says, will not God provide justice? Will he delay long over them? Now, how many times have you ever asked that? God, I believe you'll bring justice, but uh, how long is this going to take? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Speedily. I just want you to flip to close. I want to flip one more place. Keep your finger in Luke 18. I always like to cooperate, get the scriptures to interpret scripture. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 10. Everybody look there real quickly. Hebrews chapter 10. This goes right along with what we're saying. Jesus said, will he delay? No. He will bring justice and it will be speedily. Now, on our time scale, sometimes we think God is delaying. It's not coming quickly enough. But God's working out a bunch of purposes. You know that? He is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. James tells us that perseverance, er, er, persever, no, Romans tells us perseverance produces character, character produces hope, and hope will not disappoint us. God's doing a lot of things in our hearts, and we don't know why he's waiting. But look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Now, I recently wrote a devotion and posted it to Hope and Passion's website. It's the most recent devotion on there. It's called Don't Shrink Back. And I meant to print it out for you, but the copier's down. So if you look up this devotion, it's based on this passage. This passage is strong. Now listen and be convicted by God's Spirit. Therefore, verse 35, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Now, the implication is that if you don't have endurance, you won't receive what is promised. Amen? You have need of endurance. Now, look, verse 37. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and he will not delay. It's, it's going to happen sooner than you think. Watch this. But my righteous one, my elect, my child, my chosen one, shall live by faith. And what is faith? Believing that God exists and that he what? Rewards those who seek him. Look at this. My righteous one shall live by faith. The one who cries out to me day and night shall live by faith. Watch this. And if he shrinks back, and on, on, the, on the website I had to put a picture of a turtle going back into its shell. If he shrinks back, what's it say? Read it out loud. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Now, wait a second. No matter how sweet and wonderful you are, there's always going to be people in your life that take no pleasure in you. Have you ever known a person that took no pleasure in your existence? That hurts. But it doesn't really matter. You know what matters, though? If God ever looked at me and said, Shelley, my heart takes no pleasure in you. I would just want to die. Amen? Don't worry about who takes pleasure in you. You worry about this one thing. Don't throw away your confidence. Don't quit enduring. Don't quit crying out to God because if you shrink back, his soul will take no pleasure in you. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Okay, back to Luke 18, verse 8, last, last verse. Jesus said, in verse 7, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And then this convicting verse. 
All this good stuff Jesus has promised. Surely God will answer your prayer. Surely God will bring justice in the end. Surely God is going to take care of his, his elect. Nevertheless. And do you know what that word means? No less important than what was just said. You with me? So as great as all that encouragement is, Jesus said, nevertheless, or just as important, here's the question. When the Son of Man, and that's a title for Jesus in Luke, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? After all that has been promised about crying out to him day and night, after all that has been promised about him hearing his elect and providing justice, the question still remains, Jesus said, when I come back, will I find faith? And that question has been resonating in my soul for weeks. Jesus is looking at you as an individual and saying, I promise I'm bringing justice. When I return, I promise this is going to get right. But you have need of endurance. And the question is, when I return, will I find faith in you? And we need to ask ourselves that question. In Luke Later on, chapter 21, verses 34 to 36. Um, Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. So watch yourselves. Now listen, this is what Jesus said. Watch yourselves. Pray always. Pray that you may have strength to escape the things that are about to take place and to actually stand before the Son of Man. Wow. That must mean, according to Jesus, that I need to pray and be sure that when he comes, I'll actually be able to stand before him. Will he find faith in Shelley Prindle or will I have shrunk back? The answer for discouragement is prayer. Amen? Cry out to him day and night. It doesn't. We need formal prayer meetings. We need praying with each other. We need kneeling at our bedside. We need standing with our hands up in the air. We need praying before meals, all that stuff. But the posture of your heart should be towards God all the time. Crying out and asking to hear back through his word. Amen? Jesus told them this parable to this effect that they ought always to pray 